Right, this is a this is a unique Sunday. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 13 on this unique Sunday. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can come before you right now. And uh, Lord, we come because we need you. We need help, Lord. And you're, and you're a great help. You're a very present help in time of need. Where does, our, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Lord, you're, you're completely capable. You're completely able. And so, God, we come and we worship you. And, Lord, as we stop to consider your word right now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and you would teach us, Lord. Father, so there's, such, there's such clear evidence, Lord, of you being a God who hears prayer. And we see that all throughout our lives, Lord, but even this morning, God, we see that, that we've called out to you, God, and we've asked you, Lord, that you would that you would add more leaders to our church. And so, Lord, we meet this morning to do that. And, Lord, it's such a clear, it's just this clear, this clear evidence, God, that you've heard us, that you listened to our prayer, God, and you provided what we needed. Father, thank you so much for being the God who hears prayer. Lord, we love you, Lord, and I pray that as we consider your word right now, Lord, that you, that you would encourage our souls, that you fill our hearts, Lord, with a desire to submit to you and obey you. Father, please help us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let me try to tell you sort of the end from the beginning, uh, where we're going this morning. Today, Grace Community Church, uh, as a church, we want to do what it says in Acts 14, 23, where it says that they appointed elders in every church. Um, they appointed elders in every church. Well, we want to do that. We have Elders, also known as pastors, also known as overseers, we have those in Grace Community Church, and we want to add uh, a pastor to Grace Community Church this morning. The way it says this in 1 Timothy 5.22, it says that we're not to be hasty in the laying on of hands. Now, that's in the context of, of uh, for example, chapter 5, verse 17 says the elders who rule well give double honor to the elders who rule well, especially those who labor and word and doctrine and in that context it says but don't be hasty to lay hands on anyone and so i don't believe that we have been hasty but our desire is to appoint and to lay hands on a brother this morning to be a pastor at grace community church now i want to encourage us as we get ready to do that, that this is not just a mere formality uh, it is a formality and we praise god for it but it's not just a mere format. I want, you, I want to give you that example. You don't have to flip there, but just listen to these verses 
When this happened in Timothy's life, when the eldership came around Timothy and laid hands on him, listen to three verses very quickly. And I want you to hear in this that this is not a mere formality this morning. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Listen to another one. It describes it from another angle. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then one more verse that gives you a different angle. 1 Timothy 1.18 This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. And so here we get insight into this moment in Timothy's life when the elders came around and laid their hands on him and appointed him to this work. And what you hear in those verses is not mere formality, okay, it's official, but what you hear is this gift that was given to you. There's something so significant that when Timothy is doing the labor that he's called to do, Paul can write to him and say, Timothy, do you remember what happened? Do you remember what happened when we gathered around you and laid hands on you and sent you out to this work? Do you remember that? By remembrance of that, brother, go wage a good warfare. Now, I don't claim to know everything that those three verses entail, but I know this is more than mere formality. There's glorious things happening as we come around our brother today. And so who is this brother that we're coming around? If you don't know who it is, then you're either a visitor to the church or you're a bad member. <laughs> it's our brother Greg Ballard, a man with uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, his greatest strength is probably his wife, Tony. Right? Um, a brother that we believe is gifted and set apart by God to do this work. Acts 20, 28, it says this phrase, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And we believe that the Holy Spirit has done a mighty work in his life. A man who desires a noble task, 1 Timothy 3, 1 says that the man that desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. He doesn't, Greg doesn't desire things like that like the world does for the sake of being in a certain position. He desires it because he loves this church. A man who's been affirmed by this church through uh, your pastors affirming him as, as a man qualified for this task and also the church itself. 1 Timothy 3 lays out requirements First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 7 of what a man must be in order to be an elder or pastor in a local church. And this brother has been affirmed as fitting those requirements. And so as we prepare to do this this morning, and everything's kind of moving in that direction of us coming around him and laying hands on him, I want us to turn our attention to a verse of scripture that's relevant to that. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Let's read this passage together. <clears throat> Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now this passage is mainly speaking to the church or to 
the congregation, to the people, the members of the church, about leadership. So it has something to say to the congregation. But also, just by way of looking at it, it has something to say to the leaders as well, to, uh, in this case, specifically to Greg. And so I want to say something first, because that's where the scripture starts, something first to Grace Community Church from this verse. And then I want to say a few things directly to Greg from this verse. So beginning to the church, to this congregation, I want to give you five points from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Five points. Number one, from Hebrews 13, 17. Number one is this. Praise God. Give worship to God for giving us shepherds. He's the one that does it. Praise God for giving us shepherds. It says here in Hebrews 13, 17, the word leaders. You see it? It says obey your leaders. Leaders. Who, who's it talking about? It's not talking about your governing authorities, uh, your governing authorities uh, as in state authorities and things like that. Because it says they watch out for your soul. Your state government authorities don't watch out for your soul. It's pastors, elders, overseers, they watch out for your soul. Listen to chapter 13, same chapter, verse 7, speaks about these leaders. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of, the, of their way of life. Imitate their faith. You can look forward to verse 24, same chapter. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Greet your leaders and all the saints. So the leaders here is speaking about your pastors. And these words are synonymous in the scripture that you can call a pastor of a church a leader, as it says here, or a pastor, as it says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, or overseers, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, or elders, it also says... In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. All these words are just different words to describe the same office. But what it says here in chapter 13, verse 17, is the word leaders. Now this is another verse that reminds us that God has designed it that there will be a plurality of leaders or pastors in every church. This says to a church here, obey your leaders, plural. Another verse like that is Acts 14, 23 that I quoted a moment ago. It says, appoint elders, plural, in every church. So here's this design of God, that there would be a group of men, qualified men in every church, that actually lead the local church. Now we know it's very clear from Scripture in Hebrews, but also outside of Hebrews, that the chief leader of the church, the chief pastor, the chief shepherd of the church, the number one leader is Jesus Christ himself. It's his church. He bled and died for, he promised to build her. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, right after it speaks about elders in the local church, then it says, it says, when the chief shepherd appears, when the chief pastor appears. So he is the number one pastor, and yet the chief shepherd of the flock has decided that he would put, he would give and 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 gift uh, under shepherds to his church. Now I think we should think about this as a gift. I'll give you an example of that. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15 says this, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You can go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, where it says that Jesus was ascended on high and he gives gifts to men. And one of those gifts, as it goes on to mention them in verse 11, says pastor teachers or shepherd teachers. That's a gift given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So this is a 
gift. Leadership given to the church is a gift. And I would just say specifically that our brother Greg has been an answered prayer, as you heard me pray a moment ago, and a gift to this church. And so we ought to, number one, praise God for what he's done. Praise God for this this morning. Number two, submit to church leadership. Submit to church leadership. Now, two words here in verse 17. It says obey, and then it says submit. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey and submit. Now, that's very contrary to human nature, right? We don't even want to obey God. We don't even, you know, humanity doesn't even want him as our authority, much less an under-shepherd, okay? And it's definitely opposed to the American way, this rugged individualism. I don't want to submit or obey anybody. I'm my own person. So this is very counter-cultural, but it says it here, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I think we need to be very aware of abuses in leadership, and I think we could spend a whole lot of time qualifying uh, this verse by saying what it does not mean. So, for example, it does not mean that uh, you should follow leaders into sin, that when leaders lead in such a way that is opposed to God, that you should continue to submit and follow them. That's not true. You should not do that. But we could spend all day talking about that. But instead of that, let's talk about what does it mean? What does this passage mean? It means to put yourself under the authority of church leaders. Uh, First First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 12, it calls church leaders those who are over you, over you in authority. So put yourself under those who are over you. The word here in verse 17, obey, obey. It means a yieldedness, that there will be a yieldedness, that there would be uh, a teachableness, a willing to yield, a, a, a willing to be persuaded from your leaders. That's the idea of this word, obey. And then you got this word submit, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, it sounds like the same thing, right? Obey them, submit to them. And the idea is this, that this submission is a type of obedience. So what, what kind of obedience to church leadership? It's not the kind that's heartless, the kind that is yielded and teachable, but really, you know, however you, you work that doesn't want to be. But rather, it's this heart of submission. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13 mentions a submission in love. It says, esteem them in love for their work's sake. It's a loving submission. So somebody that obeys this, obey your leaders and submit to them. Somebody that does this verse is the kind of person that when leadership is abused, they weep. They're the kind of person that says, look, I want to be led. I want to be led. I want to be under this authority. So when leaders go astray, they don't say, see, that's why I don't obey authority. They don't do that. But rather they weep and they mourn and they grieve because their heart, their disposition is, I want to be yielded to this. And so here's this scripture, submit, excuse me, obey your leaders and submit to them. So praise God for this. Submit to church leadership. Number three. I want to encourage us to prioritize soul care in the church. Prioritize soul care in the church. It's coming again. Verse 17. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Soul care. It's the occupation of the pastors. Soul care. They're keeping watch over. Over your souls. Your soul is that you that continues on when your body's rotten in the ground. 
Your soul can be healthy. Your soul can be unhealthy. Your soul can be heaven bound. Your soul can be hell bound. But this says they watch out for your souls. Now, why should you prioritize soul care in your life? Concerned about your own soul. How's your soul? Concerned about the souls of the people in your church and the people around you. Why should soul care be a priority to you? Because it is to God. It is to God. Think about this. God designs his church in such a way that he says, in my church, I want to set apart a group of qualified men and their purpose and their goal, their occupation is to watch out for souls. God prioritizes this. This is important to him and it should be very, very important to us. Now, God does not set apart an office in the church that designs and runs programs. God does not set aside an office in the church that's a CEO pastor. God doesn't set up anything in the church that's like this. Anything that's a Sunday morning entertainer. It's nothing like that. But he sets up those that are soul watchers. The soul, the soul is important to God. Soul care is important to God and it should be important to each one of us as well. Now, brothers and sisters, is it obvious in your life? That soul care is a priority. In the way that you defend your soul. 1 Peter 2.11 says. uh, It speaks about these fleshly lusts. That war against your soul. A war has been waged on your soul. Ken is it obvious brothers and sisters. By the way you defend your soul. From the fleshly lusts of the world. That you you care about souls. Is it obvious by the way you feed your soul with the word of God? By you go, going and getting alone with God with his word and prayer? Is it obvious that you care about souls? In the way that you look around to your brothers and sisters and you care about their souls, you can tell in the questions that you ask. You can tell in the way you lean in and try to encourage their soul with that which will feed it the word of God. Do you, is it obvious, brothers and sisters, that soul care is a priority for you? God put this in his church. Men set apart to watch out for souls. It's important to him. Is it important to you? And brothers and sisters, I want it to be. And praise God that I can say in a large way in this church, and I praise him for this, that it is. But let's increase more and more. Let's increase more and more in that. Now, let me say this. In this idea of soul care, I want you to feel the weight of how much is at stake here. When it comes to soul care and and your pastor's heart to watch for souls and your heart to care about your own soul and other people's souls, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. And here's what I mean. If you back up a couple chapters, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. Another place where this word soul is used in the book of Hebrews. It says, we are not of those who shrink back And are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Chapter 10, verse 39. We're not those, listen to it, who shrink back and are destroyed, but continue on in faith and preserve our souls. And you see, all of Hebrews is given this sort of thing, this this idea of the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance and preservation of your soul. That's what all Hebrews lays out. It's a pattern here. Let me show you that. Just a few little glimpses. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to feel what's at stake here. 
destruction or continuing on for the perseverance of your soul. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the warning of Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, lest we drift away. And what's the means to keep us from drifting away? Here it says we got to pay closer attention to what we've heard. That glorious gospel of Christ. Pay closer attention. Another verse. If you look at chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, look at it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. Do you hear that? The perseverance of the saint, the perseverance of the soul, not shrinking back, not falling away. But we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the perseverance of the soul. And what's the means here that it says is, is a, a means to help us persevere. It says exhort one another daily while it's called today. Let me give you another one. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You hear the perseverance of the soul there? Lest anyone had failed to reach it. Look at chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. You hear the perseverance of the soul there? They've fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Go to chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the means to help us persevere to the end? It's to stirring each other up, encouraging one another with that final day in view. And what's at stake here? What's at stake? Look at the next verse. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Just one more. Chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away. Listen to the perseverance of the soul. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need, brothers and sisters, you have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So do you hear that? What's at stake here? When we think about watching out for souls or being a people that soul care is a priority, what's at stake here? Did we not shrink back to destruction but persevere to the, to the saving of the soul? Now somebody might hear that and say, man, Ron doesn't think that the book of Hebrews teaches the eternal security of the believer. 
That once you're saved, you are held by God and held to the very end. Once you're saved in Christ, that you can't lose that eternal salvation. You might think that I don't believe that, but I do. In fact, if you ask me, prove it from Scripture, I would go to Hebrews. I would go, for example, to Hebrews chapter 7, where it speaks about Jesus as the great high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. And it says, therefore, we can be saved to the uttermost. In other words, Jesus, the mediator, the high priest, never loses one of his people. Once he's your great high priest, once you come to him, he holds you to the end. But listen, but how do these two things fit? How can we believe the eternal security of the believer and yet this idea of the persevering of the soul that you must make it to the end? Is this, that the great high priest will hold us to the uttermost, to the very end, and yet he does it through certain means. And that's the connection. And so you understand what that means. That means a lot is at stake when a man becomes a pastor. He's to watch out for souls. He's a means of the great high priest to help people make it to the end. It means every sermon is a soul-preserving sermon. It means every fellowship group is a soul-preserving fellowship group. Exhort one another with that day in view. It means every Christian, every conversation between Christians is a soul-preserving conversation. There's a lot at stake here. Brothers and sisters, let's be a people that are concerned deeply about soul care. About soul care. Because it matters to God. He set apart a whole office in His church dedicated to it. Faithful pastors and faithful members of churches feel the weight of this and therefore they prioritize soul care. Number four, number four, don't be a hindrance to soul care. Brothers and sisters, don't be a hindrance to soul care. I get that from, again, verse 17. You see where it says, let them do this? Let them do this, it says. Let them do what? They watch out for your souls as one who must give an account. Let them do this. That means you can be a hindrance. There's a, a possibility to be a hindrance to soul care. Now, how can you be a hindrance to soul care? And I just mentioned a few ways. One, by not letting your pastors in your life. Maybe your attitude is, I don't want soul care. I just want to go to church on Sunday. No soul care. Just want to hear a sermon once a week. It's this mindset that doesn't let them in. So how can you be a hindrance not letting your pastors in? It's, it's, a, it's a healthy impulse for somebody to want church leaders to be in their life, to speak in their life, to love them in that way. It's a healthy impulse. How can you be a hindrance? By not submitting to soul care processes. By not submitting to soul care processes. Let me explain that a bit. What are soul care processes? Well, here's the thing. As pastors of a church, I don't care if you've got 40 people or 140 or 240, however many members in a local church, you cannot know every single member at the deepest levels that you want to, that you desire. Now, here's what's beautiful. The chief shepherd, he can. The chief shepherd, he does. He communes with every single one of his sheep at the, at the deepest level that they, that they let him in. And so, and so Jesus can do that, but human under-shepherds are limited with time, 
limited in wisdom, limited in a lot of ways. And so what happens, there's these processes set up in the church. Some of them direct lines from God's word, like this Sunday gathering. It's a process for soul care. When your pastors are, are studying diligently the word of God and, and, and uh, laboring in word and doctrine, it's not just so they can speak something pretty and have a radio ministry. Your souls, when they're studying God's word, when we're studying the scriptures to teach, your souls are at the forefront of our mind. God, strengthen their souls, help them make it to the end. So submitting yourself to those processes, being a part of the Lord's Day meeting and how you hear the word of God if you care about these soul care processes, then, then how you hear the word of God, it affects that. Or these, or these uh, you know, fellowship groups that we do. And I realize not everybody's in the same position, position and uh, some may not be, be able to be at all these. But, but, the, but the point is, those things are set up for soul care. Soul care. To, to be there, to be around the body. When those processes are put in place, submit to those. If not, you'll be a hindrance. And I would just end this point by saying this Hebrews chapter 12 calls every one of us not just pastors but every single member of the local church to help in soul care let me show you what I mean chapter 12 verse 12 listen to this therefore and he's not speaking just to pastors speaking to every every Christian in the room therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Listen, not just to pastors but to every saint. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it. See those words right there? See to it. That's the same Greek word that's over in 1 Peter chapter 5 that says that elders are to take oversight. That there's a sense in which just like pastors oversee the flock, that, that every saint would have a heart to look over and care about the whole. To see to it what? To see it to it, number one, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Number two, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Number three, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Do you get the point? And so I want to encourage you into that. Every saint with this heart to help in soul care in the church. So number four was don't be a hindrance to soul care. Number five, lastly, brothers and sisters, be a joy to lead. Be a joy to lead. To lead. You see that again in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, let them do this how? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Let them do it with joy, it says, not with groaning. Church members can be a joy to lead. The word there is a calm delight to lead, a, a, a gladness to lead. And church members can be a grief to lead. That word groaning there is used, it's used of something that Jesus did. It says that Jesus sighed. And that's that same word, that groaning. It's that, you know, it, it's that. It's that sad groaning. Let, let, let them do this. Let them do what? Let them shepherd souls. Let them watch out for your souls with joy and not with this sigh of groaning. Now, how can you be a joy to lead? How can you be a joy to lead? Is it? Are you a joy to lead if you just, just don't sin? Okay, no sin in a Grace Community Church. And then it'll just be a joy to lead, right? 
Uh, you know that's not right. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be joy if there's no sin. Sure. But this is not the way that God has designed it. That we're in the midst of a war. We have scriptures that tell us. They tell us, put to death what's earthly in you. That we're in that battle of killing things until Christ returns and we go to be with him in perfection. But until then, we've got sin in our midst and we're fighting it in our own souls and helping one another another in that battle. So it's not be sinless so that your pastors can have joy. It's also not, hey, keep your burdens to yourself. Don't burden your pastors with these things. That's not right. What's Galatians 6.2 say? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't bring us joy. It doesn't bring pastors joy for you to keep your burdens to yourself and not allow us to help you carry them. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a joy to lead? And really that brings us full circle to the original command. In chapter 13, verse 17, it brings us all the way back around to being one who obeys their leaders and is submissive, having a submissive heart towards leadership in a local church. So that submissive heart, first to Christ and also to leaders, is the way to be a joy to lead. Now, please, this call to submissiveness is not a call to be yes men. That doesn't bring us joy. We don't want a bunch of yes men around us, okay? It's, it's not a call to be a mindless follower. That doesn't bring us joy. That doesn't bring pastors joy if you just mindlessly follow men, even us. Doesn't bring us joy. In fact, that word obey, remember, that word obey in Hebrews 13, 17 is not to mindlessly follow, but it's, but it's be yielded to or be, be persuadable, be teachable. Let us give you the word of God and, 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 and see you respond to be teachable as we give out God's word and God's direction. It's that first half of being a Berean. Remember, I know a lot of us know Acts 17, 11, the Bereans. It says Paul taught them, and it says, the first half, it says, they received the word with all readiness. That's that yieldedness. And then they searched the scriptures daily to see if it was true. So not yes men, not mindless followers, but yielded and submissive in heart. Now, last thing I'll mention as far as a motivation of, of why we should obey this text is because an unyieldedness and an unsubmissiveness, as this speaks about, is not good for the church. It's not good for your soul. You see that in that last phrase? It says, for that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage to you. So joyful leadership in your midst is, a, is, is an advantage to you. A people submissive to the leadership of the church is an advantage to you. It's good for you. It's, it's no advantage to kick against that. It's no advantage to you or to the church. That's the idea. So when God designed his church and he... And he, he, he uh, designed it with faithful leaders leading his church, it was meant to be for the good of the church. For the good of the church. Now I'll give you just, in closing on that, a couple scriptures that I think can help us see that. 2 Corinthians 13.10, it says this. The authority that the Lord has given me, listen, for what? For building up and not for tearing down. For building up and not for tearing down. Meant for the good of the church. Chapter 10, verse 8. Same book. It says, Our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you. For the good of the church. For building you up and not 
destroying you. And I love this one. In chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Pastor's role, fellow workers for your joy. Now, still in Hebrews 13. That's five points to the church. Now I want to turn to Greg, my brother. And I want to give five points from Hebrews 13, 17 directly to you. Church, don't, don't check out here. There might be something here for you. But this is specifically directed at my brother Greg. Uh, Greg, number one, brother, be a faithful leader. Be a faithful leader. And I say that for obvious reasons. That's what it says here. It says, it uses the word leaders. Now, each, each title that a pastor is given, right? Elder, they're synonymous. Elder, pastor, overseer, leader. They, they each communicate something beautiful. Each one of those communicates something unique. You know, the overseer communicates this sort of supervising, looking over the whole of the church. The, the term elder, it, it communicates this uh, maturity in a, in a person's life. But what about leader? What is the leader communicating uniquely? It's brother, and I'd say this to you, Greg, brother, get out in front and lead. Show us how it's done. Show us how to live a life devoted to the glory of Christ. I thought about um, this past week, or it's not this past week, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, my, daughter, my little daughter ran a, a, a one-mile fun run at the 5K event, and they wanted the dads to you know, run with them. Why? Well, it's a mile, and they get lost. Uh, so, so, so lead them. Dads, lead them. And it's such a neat picture to me. Of, I'm trying to lead my little daughter, and the way I do that is I get out in front of them some, and I'm running out in front, so they're encouraged to see the direction to go, and they're coming with me. And then I look back, and all of a sudden, the side's hurting, and she's, she's you know, bent over, and, and she's stopping. So I go back, and now I'm right beside her and walking along, alongside her and telling her to come on. And then I'm getting back out in front again to come on and follow me. And then she's really tired, so I pick her up and carry her to the finish line. And... Um, just kidding, that last part didn't happen. But, but it's a good picture of leadership. Leadership in God's church. And brother, I want to encourage you in that, to lead, to be a faithful leader. So what are, what are some attributes of a faithful leader? Faithful leaders are zealous leaders. Roman, I get that from Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says, and, and you who lead, lead with zeal. There's a fire in the bones as you lead. Brother, I want to call you that. To lead with a fire in your bones. A fire, a, a passion. I think it was Ravenhill who said, a passionless pastor is pointless. So brother, be filled with zeal as you lead God's people, God's church. Also, a faithful leader is a masculine leader. A masculine leader. Now, I, I feel like I need to explain that one to everybody a little more. Um, a masculine leader, that's, you know, what is biblical? There's a biblical masculinity towards men and a biblical femininity towards women. And both of them are beautiful if it's with men and women. So what is, what is biblical masculinity? If I had to define it quickly, I'd say something like this. It's that sense of, that sense in a man of, of responsibility to provide and to protect, even at the cost of his own comfort, even at the cost of his life. Okay? 
And God, God has ingrained this into us, right? You've heard me say this before, that if I'm in my house and we're about to go to bed at night and all of a sudden somebody's breaking in the front door, how ashamed of me would you be if I said, honey, Lydia, would you go check that out? You see, that's an assault on real biblical masculinity. Or how how shameful would it be if we're going to war with ISIS and the general of the army says, let's send all our women out front to get on the front lines of battle. And so what I'm saying to you is this. The pastor's role is a masculine role. The pastor's role is a masculine role. How do you know that? 1 Timothy 2, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. This is a masculine role. So, brother, I I guess essentially what I'm saying, Greg, is is man up, brother. Man up as a pastor in this church. And what I mean by that is not the American version of that. What I mean by that is be the first one on the battlefield and the last one off. Or like John Calvin said, have a voice. You need two voices. You need one voice to beat back wolves. You need another voice to gather the sheep. And brother, I want to call you into zealous pastoring and masculine leadership. And one more as far as faithful leadership is concerned. Faithful leaders are humble leaders. Humble leaders. And to encourage you that, I want to, I want to turn to the verse that God used To lead me into pastoral ministry. Mark chapter 10. I think prior to God hitting me between the eyes with this verse. I had bad views of leadership. I didn't want to be a leader in God's church. Because a leader in God's church meant this lording it over type mindset. right? And God used this verse to change all that. And so brother I want to submit this to you as a call to humble leadership. Mark chapter 10 verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And I remember reading that and thinking, praise God. What does it mean to be a leader in the local church? It's humble leadership. It's not look at me, I'm out in front. It's I want to get up underneath these people and serve them. I want to be a slave to all. I want to be the shepherd pointing at green pasture saying, let's go that way. So brother Greg, I want to call you to that. And Jesus is our example as we see in the next verse. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you see the chief shepherd washing the disciples' feet? Can you see him there going to the cross and dying on a cross for sinners taking their punishment in their place? He gave himself. He came as a servant, not to be served. And so, brother, I want to call you to zealous, masculine, and humble leadership in the local church. Now, that was my first point, to be a faithful leader. Greg, my second point is to lead with gravity. Brother, lead with gravity. Lead with soberness and seriousness. Hebrews 13, 17, again, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, this is a sobering thought. Jesus just told his bride to submit to you. Isn't that a sobering thought? I say this all the time to uh, to. You know, young husbands. I read Ephesians 5 and it says, Wives, 
Be submissive to your own husbands. And I say, brother, wake up to that. Do you see that? God just told one of his daughters, his daughters, to submit to you. You feel the the weight of that, the gravity of that? And so, brother, I want to encourage you to lead with gravity. Imagine placing your wife or your children under the care of another. He better act right. Right? And so we see this. Christ has placed his precious possession into your care. Acts 20, again, Acts 20, verse 28 says, uh, the Holy Spirit has, has, has called you to be overseers. And it says, of his church, listen, of his church, which he purchased with his own blood. That Jesus purchased this church with his blood. He went to the cross and bled and died for her. And that precious possession that he purchased with his own blood, he gives it to you and says, take care of her. It's a sobering, sobering reality. And I want to encourage you to lead with gravity and lead with trembling. Third, I want to call you to be a spiritual watchman. A spiritual watchman. Again, this verse is where I get it from. It says, keeping watch over your soul. So soul, spiritual, watch, watchman. I want to call you to be a spiritual watchman. Brother Christ has placed you on the watchtower. Not the Jehovah's Witness, folks. But he's placed you on the watchtower of a group of people that Satan hates. Satan despises this people and despises this church and would love nothing more than to destroy it. And he sets you up as a watchman on the wall. And so I want to call you to that, to be a spiritual watchman. 219 souls in this church and a whole slew of kids. I want to encourage you to be a watchman on the wall. Go after lost sheep. Strengthen the weak. Build up the broken. Strengthen the strong. When he call you to that. Ezekiel chapter 33. I just want to read this passage. Now this is the passage that the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 references Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 as he's encouraging pastors. So Paul's encouraging pastors in Acts 20, and he says, my hands are innocent of the blood of all men. And he's referring to this sort of thing in Ezekiel 33. Listen to it. The the word of the Lord came to me. This is verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. Picture it, spiritual watchmen. Swords coming on land, they have, a, they have a watchman. Listen. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people. That's what it is. Uh, pastor's brother are trumpet blowers. They blow the trumpet. They warn the people. They're not flute players. They're trumpet blowers. No offense to flute players. The room, but it ain't a trumpet. Then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him, his blood shall be on his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if, and here's the warning, and brother, I want you to hear it. If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are warned, And the sword comes and takes any one of them. 
That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And the Apostle Paul said he lived a life among that church and he wanted to be an example to the elders of that church that he lived in such a way that he could say, my hands are innocent of the blood of all men. And brother, I want to call you that. Be a watchman on the wall. And you know like I know that you'll have many times you feel like, man, I'm blowing the trumpet, I'm blowing the trumpet, I'm blowing the trumpet, but the warning's not being received. And for that, I want to turn your attention to Isaiah 62. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about this. Isaiah 62, verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. Now, what's it talking about? Is it talking about preaching? No. Listen. These watchmen on the walls shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance. This is talking about prayer, putting the Lord in remembrance. Take no rest, watchman on the wall. Take no rest and give him no rest. Give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Brother, I want to call you to be a prayerful leader, a watchman on the wall that blows the trumpet and calls out to God until he makes Grace Community Church a praise in the earth. I want to call you to pray. Satan does not fear prayerless pastors. Because they're just men. But Satan trembles when pastors pray. Number four, brother. I want to call you to lead us as one who will one day stand before God. Lead us as one who will one day stand before God. Again, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, as those who will... Excuse me, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Here it is. As those who will have to give an account. Brother, lead as one who will stand before God one day and give an account. Give an account to God. Let's try to think about that for a minute. There's a pastor way back that said, The fear of this threat continually agitates my soul. Fear of this threat continually agitates my soul. For whom will you give an account? 219 souls at Grace Community Church. And again, slew of children. I remember the first time, uh, the first time that a member of Grace Community Church died. It was the first time for me. He left a meeting like this, went out to the parking lot, and died in the parking lot. And I remember a little bit of time, you know, there's grieving, there's pain, it was hard, all that stuff's there. And sometime after that, I remember thinking, that's it. The, the account has been written. That's so. I've got nothing left to do. Nothing left to go back on. I've can make, I can make no changes. That soul, there it is. And I'll give an account for that soul. And brother, I want to encourage you to, to walk in that with soberness. As one who will give an account for souls one day. The more sobering question is to whom you'll give an account. You'll give an account to the one who, whose eyes are like flames of fire. Whose voice is like the sound of many waters. To Christ Jesus sitting on his throne with all sovereignty and power. The glorious king and yet he loves you and you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account one day to him. 
Now, with that being said, does that mean we pastor with, with you know, we pastor the church with just sad trepidation? Is that what we do? And the answer is no. And that brings me to the last thing I want to say to you, brother, is be a joyful leader. Greg, be a joyful leader in the church. Verse 17 says, let them do this how? It says, with joy. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. Let them do it with joy, not with groaning, because that's not profitable to you. That's of no advantage to you. So, brother, I want to call you into joyful leadership. Joyful pastoring is the aim. Joyless pastoring profits no one. That's what this says. Joyless pastoring is of no advantage to you. It, passed, it, 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 helps, it helps no one. So, brother, I want to encourage you to show us how to face life with an indestructible joy, not the kind of joy that's dependent on circumstances and what happens around you, but the kind of joy that can say, I lost everything, like Habakkuk 3.17. I lost it all, and yet this is my rejoicing, that I have Christ. I've got everything that I need in Christ, and my joy is found in Him and Him alone. Show us how to live a life of joy like that, indestructible joy in Christ. Lead with joy. Now, some people might argue from this text. They might say, wait a minute, this text says... To the congregation, let them do it with joy and not with groaning because that's, that's not profitable to you. So the pastor's joy is dependent on the congregation. Somebody might argue like that. The pastor's joy is dependent on the congregation. So let me argue a little bit with this. Well, yes and no. Yes, and brother, I say this to you. There, you know there will be pain. There will be brokenheartedness. There will be uh, uh, weeping and sorrow and all that stuff will be there. And yet God's word says this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And to give a sweet example, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, Paul says this, I will very gladly, that's the joy, I will very gladly spin and be spent for your souls, although the more I love you, the less I'm loved. So here's a very bad situation where, where a congregation is causing groaning. And he says, I will very gladly, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Brother, Grace Community Church does not need sad and reluctant leadership. Grace Community Church needs a man leading from a place of the fullness of joy. So they have something to give. Now allow me, I, you know, I want to just in closing... Brother, I want you to feel, um, and we've got this passage in view. I want you to realize, I know you have in it, at least to some degree, but realize the affirmation, not just from myself and, and Dustin, but from this church, that we praise God that he's brought you here. And I want you to feel that affirmation. So allow me for just a moment to give just a few personal reflections. Okay, so for y'all that don't know this, Greg gives me a hard time. That, um, that when he first started coming around, I tried to send him to another church. <laughs> uh, I love the brother, and I want it, but I ain't, don't know who this guy is, you know. Got kind of worried about him, so I said, y'all try a church a little closer to your house. And um, so he gives me a hard time. So I just want to share a couple or, or you know, two or three reflections of how this brother has gone from that to one of the best friends of my life. And a, guy, and a man that I believe is equipped and ought to be a pastor in this church. One, the first, uh, I remember, I was thinking about this, I remember the first moment that I began to, to develop a deep admiration was actually in your son's membership interview. 
So I'm sitting in a membership interview. Brian, your son, is joining Grace Community Church. And I'm sitting in that membership interview. And, and what happened in that, in that moment is I heard the way he talked about his dad, who was saved later in life, so he hated his dad for a season. But the way his dad pursued him and loved him and cared for him and to see, you know, you know Brian's a man now. He's, his eyes are sweating a little bit, you know. In, in, that, in that area. And, and man, to see the way he loved his dad and appreciated and respected his dad, I literally remember leaving that meeting, leaving that meeting with Brian and just weeping in my car and asking, God, cause my children to love me the way that man loves his dad. First moment of deep admiration. Uh, second was I remember inviting you, inviting you over to pray for the first time at my house and just me and you were praying. I don't believe you know much about a man until you pray with him. So here we are praying together, and to see you there, uh, and if you all could have heard it, to, see, to, to hear and see him weeping just in, in tears over the children of this church, asking God to save the, the, the five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and teenagers and, and, and interceding on behalf of fathers and mothers. I walked away from that deeply moved and appreciative of you, brother. And then last, this is more broad, um, Seeing you do the work of pastoring without the title is beautiful. It's this picture to me that, that, you know, what the scripture describes as a pastor is not just a mature man of God. Praise God for mature men of God. But it's not just that. There's a calling into that. There's a desiring the task and being, being uh, uh, affirmed in that task from God and from the church. So it's more than just maturity. And I saw that in you. Not just maturity, but a man that wanted to shepherd souls. And I saw that and looking around and talking to people that, that need help. And all of a sudden, Greg's helped him and Greg's helped this one. And, and, and he's teaching the word here and helping this person. And man, it encouraged my soul. I, I think I learned from you a, a little distinction between not just maturity, but a soul to shepherd. A, soul, a, a, a heart to, to care for souls. And so I want to encourage you in that. That's just for me. And then I want to give you just a few personal reflections, not just for me, but from the church as a whole, um, I gave you that, you probably thought it was random, I gave you that little packet a minute ago, this letters, if you didn't know already, letters from members of this church, and I just want to give just a few little excerpts from those letters. One, uh, this is a young lady who's now a missionary sent from our church, she says, I was visiting the Sunday night Bible study for the first time, and you, Greg, were teaching through Exodus. I was just beginning to discover the realm of biblical theology, and your teaching that night stoked the fire in me and left me wanting more. Brother, be encouraged and affirm. Second, a young man, also now a missionary. Maybe the story here is if you get though, Greg, you might be a missionary. <laughs> he says this, There aren't many men in my life that are like fathers in the faith, and yet that is what you've been to me even in the short time we were together. Another one, a woman in our church that's struggling with a physical weakness, struggling with a sickness in, in this letter that she wrote. She says, one of my sweetest memories is, sh is sharing my weakness with you in prayer time. And with the words you encourage me, Christ is your strength. In my weakness, his power is made perfect. We prayed that night and you followed up Sunday asking how I was and how my week went. That meant the world to me. Still today, when I'm having bad days with this weakness, I hold fast to the word and pray, knowing the Lord is my strength. Another brother in our church who is one of our fellowship group leaders, 
He says, we have prayed for years for a mature man to come and help Grace Community Church grow, make disciples, and advance the kingdom of God. It is clear you are an answer to that prayer. Brother, you're going to see a pattern in those letters of answer to prayer, answer to prayer. God used you, brother, to answer these prayers. The only thing more repetitive in the letters than you're an answer to prayer is probably your wife's awesome. All in the Another brother in our church, he says, from, from time spent with you, I realize quickly that your joy comes from serving others. I'm thankful that some of that time you choose to spend with me. You remind me of the riches I have in Christ when I need to hear it most. Every time I've had difficulties, you've been there for me. Another brother who's a fellowship group leader says, Your nation is an answer to years of prayer. Another brother says, You are always focused to exalt Christ. A, a mama at Grace Community Church speaking about when you took her son and began to spend time and, and, and speaking and teaching with her son. She says, This mama felt a physical burden lightened. Not removed, but shared. I truly began to, to grasp Paul's words to the Galatians. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Another brother in a very, very difficult situation says, You mourned with me, encouraged me, and stirred my soul to trust and love Christ during this hard season. Another brother says, You have shared your very life with us. And I say the best for last. A young man at Grace Community Church says, Time would fail to tell of the many a times you supplied this young man through your endless supply of lifesavers. <laughs> there have been a couple times I really needed them, so thanks for saving me from whack breath. <laughs> so brother, you're a lifesaver in a lot of different ways. And we praise the Lord for that. And so man, I, you know, I say those things. I want us to hear from Hebrews 13 as a congregation. I want you to hear those things from Hebrews 13, verse 17 is a charge to you. And brother, I want you to be affirmed that what we're about to do is not just a decision from myself and Dustin or just a decision from the church as a whole, but God wants this. The Holy Spirit has made you overseer. And so we're going to take some time now, um, myself and Dustin, we want to do what it says in Acts 14, 23. So Dustin, come on up here, brother. And Greg, you come on up here. And let's lean in and call out to God and lay hands on this brother and pray. Yeah, Tony, will you come too? All right, we've laid out a bunch of duties in God's Word. Uh, this is just a little piece of that in one passage in Hebrews 13. And now we ask for power to accomplish those duties. We ask for help from heaven. So the Lord has ordained what we're doing right now, this laying on of hands. And this does nothing, but it symbolizes something that's powerful. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit setting apart our brother. And so we want to call upon our God, and we want to ask for his mercy, his grace, and his power in Greg's life. And so let's pray together.